You're listening to the Black Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about cubes so that you don't have to. Hi, I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. I am Mark. I'm Simon. And so here's the episode synopsis for The Power of Three. The Doctor arrives at Rory and Amy's for dinner, but as he climbs out of the TARDIS, it immediately turns into a Rubik's Cube in the middle of the pond's kitchen. Befuddled, the Doctor doesn't know what to do, and Amy and Rory invite him to stay over with them until he can get the TARDIS to turn back into a TARDIS. Over the course of the episode... (laughs) <laughs> so carry on over the course of the episode hang on i've lost my place here now <laughs> i'm so sorry oh dear over the course of the episode we see many hilariously domestic incidents as the doctor tries to fit in with modern everyday life all the while clueless as to why the tardis isn't a tardis anymore eventually on the first anniversary of his arrival the doctor is in the kitchen with brian pond as brian tries to repair the light fixture above the doctor's head as the light bulb pings into life the doctor bellows eureka and reaches out and opens the blue tile on the giant rubik's cube it seems the tardis's chameleon circuit has sprung into life and disguised the time machine as an oversized domestic object the doctor thinks amy and Ro- they're all laughing at me i don't know why that's all right it's behind your back the doctor thanks Amy. <laughs> the doctor <laughs> thanks Amy and Rory for putting him up or putting up with him and promises to take them on holiday to New York to make up for the 12 months of being a pain in the butt. <laughs> oh. What a load of box that was. I'm not sure whether that was that was better than the one that you did on the original version of this podcast. This is, ladies and gentlemen, the second time we have tried to do a podcast for the power of three. The first time we uh, got to the end of 60 minutes of talking, only to find out that somebody, and I'm not going to mention Simon's name, forgot to press record at the start. (laughs) I don't, I think that's been a bit unfair. Zippy. Fungal. You're all a bunch of bastards! (laughs) (laughs) Obviously, obviously, Simon was not to blame for that. Some some technical jiggery-pokery went wrong, and we got to the end of the recording and found out we didn't have it anymore. So here we are, attempting to do a second podcast on the power of three. So if we're a bit stuttery over mm. what we're talking about, that's only because we've already said it once before. Yeah, and, and we watched it a good few days ago now, so it's... Yeah, so if we've lost a little bit of our... Pizzazz. Yeah, that's the reason why. Okay, let's uh, start this podcast by going around in a quick circle. And you know what? It'd be an interesting thing. Can we remember the scores we gave the first time? And let's talk about it again for an hour and see if any of us change our minds. Mark? I think I gave it a six. Simon, do you remember? I think I gave it a seven. I believe it was a 7.5 for me. And I gave it a 10. (laughs) (laughs) Just because I'm like that. And also because I bloody loved it, <laughs> quite simply. 
So the episode. Yes. Um, how should we do this? Should we start start and try and talk through the episode? Because we don't usually do that. We usually we just, never do that. No, we usually just come up with random um, thoughts. Well, yeah. However, very you random. Yeah. I mean, let's talk about the mattress. Pre- Pardon. A random thought. The yeah. macro. Mattress. Mattress. Oh, that really is random. This is going to be... That that really is random. Nothing really mattress, anyway. This is going to be an absolute disaster of a podcast (laughs) episode. It was quite fine. It was quite bizarre, because when we came off the, uh, you know, off the end of that episode and we recorded the podcast, we were were kind of buzzing in a really happy, clappy, chappy way, having a real laugh, and it was like, hey, you know. And then we've sat down and thought, we're never going to be able to get that back. Kind of this lost podcast that's never been recorded. So we apologise if for any reason... JR balls your box off. But, uh... <laughs> is this going to be the? Is this no, going to be the? I thought we'd all agree we were going to be yeah, nice the... to JR for one episode. Oh, lost oh, in sorry, time. Sorry, that's okay. Yeah, yeah. Box podcast lost in time. <laughs> is this going to be the swearing? That's right. Episode? Ian Levine will pick it up. He'll find it somewhere. I don't fucking know. <laughs> <laughs> Incredible. Right. Pre-credit sequence. Yeah. Remind me. A uh, pre-title sequence, sorry, not credits. Credits come at the end. The whole episode is a pre-credit <laughs> sequence. What am I talking about? Yeah, exactly. What are you talking about? Uh, boxes start springing up every day, <clears> don't they? Yeah, and you've got the Doctor in the cradle at the top of the, um, not the lamppost, the of electricity course, yes. pylon thing. And it's, you know, the year of the slow invasion, isn't it? Yeah, I don't even remember that part. What was that? Uh, do you, you know, the... The episode, what's the first, do anybody remember the very first shot of the episode? I don't suppose we do. No. Wasn't it something like, oh, uh, Amy talking about, oh, when we're with the doctor, it's like this. That's right. Of course, yes. And when we're at home, it's like like this. like an extension of... um... Pond life. Yes. Pond life, in the first of those five one-minute segments, you had the thing with the Sontarans, and there's a historical thing as well. Jokey Sontarans. Yeah. again. But the first, the first bit of Pond Life was a. This is what the Doctor does, mm. and he was like phoning in a. This is what I've been up to, and at the end of the episode, you got the Pond's answer machine, which was there. The message was, well, um, this episode starts out in the same way. Mm. It starts out with a sequence of you know all the magical things that happen with the Doctor, and then you sort of cut to, and this is what we really get up to, and Amy and Rory are sitting in the garden. Talking about really dull things. They drink well, a lot of red wine, don't they? I like that that kind of aspect of their life where it's really boring and dull. And of course, when the doctor turns up, it's super exciting. Because how can you compare with that? Really, well, you, you can't. You can't. Again, but by the end, they are kind of deciding. Well, actually, well, they're you know, choosing not to. Choosing not to go with the doctor, or at least it appears that they are. Until yeah. Brian steps in, and now we've jumped to the very final scene. <laughs> yeah. And he encourages them. I will say that yeah, that final he's... scene where Brian encourages them to go off, Oops. although it's obviously set up, uh, yeah. you know, for some kind of disaster. Yeah, to sending happen. them to their death. Well done, Brian. Exactly. Well, who knows? We don't know what's <laughs> going to happen to them next week. But obviously the setup there is that that last scene, although it seems hugely optimistic and positive at the end of this episode, next week... It's going to have a hugely ironic payoff, isn't it? That's that's the impression hope, you get. Yeah, you RTD. Know. It was the return of RTD to me. That was uh, the whole episode. The whole, or that scene? bits of the episode, huge parts of the episode. It's a little bit Sarah Jane Adventures in places. It had the family. It had Earth in danger. You had the newscasters and all of that kind of stuff. The whole story I loved of all the that anyway. cube sort of thing is very sort of Sarah Jane type. 
yeah story because i mean this was obviously the money saving episode of the five well how how they have millions of cubes to make yeah, but it's slightly cheaper to make, you know, a couple of hundred black boxes than it is what, to send though, everybody if, to Spain for three weeks. If you're a kid, you'll remember it in the same way as I remember the prisoner with the, the big balloon chasing him. Yeah. It's a simple, yeah. symbolic thing, isn't it? Yeah. And, uh, often it's the quieter episodes that, you know, it's often the it's, the, it's the quieter episodes that you don't necessarily remember very strongly at the time, but that your mind gets drawn back to in yeah. years to yeah. come. Was it a quiet episode, though? Yeah, I think so. I think Cause so. Because it, it was kind of a mixture of um, phonetic madness. Well, wasn't I... It? Yeah, a, a bit but... of very deep kind of thought-provoking cosmic musings. But there were only two... See, this is what I was expecting. What's sitting next to the Silver Surfer? <laughs> <laughs> the Silver Surfer? Yeah. <laughs> it's cosmic musings. Fat sorry, sorry, Joe. You should do your David Bowie. <laughs> One day, but not at the moment. Um, <laughs> the, after Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, right, and knowing that this episode was perhaps going to inhabit the same sort of area as Gareth Roberts' Ray Goins episodes. Oh, yeah, The Lodger. The yeah. Lodger yeah, in yeah. Closing Time. Mm. You could have been forgiven for expecting a lot more comedy and broader comedy. That's kind of what I was expecting, that it would be, you know, mm. basically the Lodger Part 3 sort of thing. It you almost know, was. I think well, it goes a bit it, deeper than that. I think yeah. it's setting up the payoff for the next episode. Yeah, that we're gonna see. Were, and there was a lot less comedy than I was expecting. It wasn't a terribly funny episode. It was funny. Mm. There were some mm. funny moments. Mm. And Matt Smith had perhaps two or three scenes where he really sort of lived up to the madcap side of his nature. Mm. But by and large, and on the whole, I didn't think it was that funny. I thought I thought the balance between concentrate the two stories happening in this episode. One is the story of the year the doctor came to stay with the Pons. Mm. And you've got the story of how they all get on when they're living together. But then on the other side of it, you've got the story of the cubes and the mystery. Mm. And, and it's a good mystery. Yeah, well, let's come to that in a minute, because yeah. let's talk about the ponds for a minute. But I didn't think it overly dwelt on the ponds was about at the say, expense no, of the mystery. No, it didn't mystery. dwell on it. Like, um, it, it, didn't, it didn't play the, uh, the lodger card again. No, because in closing play. time particularly, I just rewatched that like the day before yesterday. And in closing time, you don't actually get the Cybermen until the very last scene. Mm. You mm. get a couple of instances where you see one in the background or whatever. But the first 35 minutes of that is all the Doctor and Craig. And I was almost expecting this to go down a similar path where it would be, you know, a good half an hour of just the Doctor and Amy and Rory. But it wasn't at all. There was quite a lot of stuff that sort of concentrated on the mystery. Mm. Which was obviously a clever bit of writing then because it grounded the Doctor forced him to be there for this slow invasion he had to wait for something to happen and he was you know you know there's a lovely moment where he he gets so bored he's got to do something he's like fidgety you know <laughs> gotta do something whatever it is and he paints a fence at lightning speed i mean they could have not yeah, done the, the comedy silly bit. a bit didn't it yeah but, uh, um but i, I understood i, I kind of like i understood I they were getting that it, was, it didn't do too much of it you know no it was it's, just it's almost as bad as the hoiks isn't it when it runs back and forth? And yeah, but I enjoyed that as well. Did you? I don't think I don't think Doctor Who should exclude stuff like that as long as it doesn't do it too often. Yeah, and that's okay. two instances in seven years. Yeah, okay. You we'll know what I really it. hate is slow mo. <laughs> slow mo. 
Yeah, in Asylum of the Daleks, there are about three instances of slow mo, and that takes me right out of the. Don't drama watch Dread. Anything. Say again. <laughs> yes. <laughs> There's a lot of slow mo. Don't go and see Dread then. Oh, really? A lot of slow mo in Dread. Oh, more than a lot. Okay, 40%. it does to a certain extent depend on how it's done. It works really well in The Girl Who Waited, in my opinion. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. But from if you're going to throw in slow-mo, you've either got to do a sequence in slow-mo or else you don't use it at all. Mm-hmm. But if you've just got a single shot in slow-mo inserted in between two shots at normal speed, all as part of the same sequence, that's what takes it's me out of the It's got to be there for a reason. If you're on yeah. psychedelic drugs, slow-mo. You know, if it's Judge Dredd, slow-mo. <laughs> it's got to be done. Does it work in Judge Dredd? It does. Uh, it does. It's there for a reason. Yeah, it's overused a little, I think. Yeah, they didn't have a lot of money, though, did they? <laughs> so slowing something down is quite a clever way mm. of making it look you know, more interesting. It was beautiful. It was. We've gone off subject. Yeah, are we doing a review of <laughs> Dread now? No. <laughs> Stop. <clears throat> um, uh, there's lots of other stuff to talk about. There's tons of other stuff to talk about. I mean, I know I said the RTD thing, but... The, the emotional um, aspect. Is, the emotional aspect. Mm, yeah. What I got in, from the, this... The family aspect. Is what I got from Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. And that is that Chris Chibnall has taken the best of RTD and mm. the best of Stephen Moffat mm-hmm. and somehow managed to marry the two together in a way that's not discriminatory against either of those two and that doesn't have so much of either of those two that it overbalances it in either direction, but instead makes a really nice fusion of just a good modern Doctor Who episode. It's an interesting... Um... Sorry, go on, Mark. I was going to say, I can't remember the dialogue, but I do remember the scene where the Doctor and Amy are sat down overlooking the river, and that was really nice. It was really well written. It was quite written. Talks quite about bit. flare and fade. He yes. wants to see things right. as they <laughs> flare before they fade. Yeah. I thought that was beautiful. Mm. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously, that's his curse, isn't it, to be a time lord. He's like the immortal hanging around the mortals, and they die off, and he lives on. So it's nice that he has. he's feeling like he has to keep going to them, all the mm. time and, and fulfilling his life, not necessarily the Well, that the other was the thing around. I brought up the first time we talked about this, and I'll do it again. And again, there's two, two strands to this. It's like, and he did this brilliantly in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship as well, it's like one of those, give the writer a shopping list and see what he can do with it. <laughs> and the thing is, logic. If you're going to give a writer a shopping list, they either just write something that involves all those aspects or else they actually sit down and work out what a plausible explanation for all those aspects could be. Now, whether he was given cubes or whether he was just told it's the year the Doctor comes to stay with Amy and Rory, I don't know what Chris Chibnall was given, but you can imagine that he's given the Doctor (coughs) stays with Amy and Rory for an extended period of time and there's this slow, slow invasion, invasion with the cubes. <laughs> yeah. And Chris Chibnall actually sat down and thought about it and come up with plausible, logical explanations. Mm. The same as he did in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship. The moment where the Silurians revealed in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship, and we all had a ka moment, because why would there be dinosaurs on a spaceship? Of course, mm. because it's a Silurian <laughs> spaceship. Yeah. None of us guessed it was going to mm. be that. None of us even thought... You know, know, that there was going to be an explanation. (laughs) So when the explanation came, it was just like light bulbs going on. I had the same thing in this, both with the story of the cubes, the bit where the cubes open up and they all do something different Mm. for half an hour or whatever it was, and then stop. And you think, what the hell was that all about? And then when the explanation is, well, 
they all do something different because they all wanted to take in different information that could put that information together mm. so they would know how to attack us. Yeah. It's a brilliant piece of deductive perfect, logic. Perfect, perfect. Attack us with a birdie song. I mean, that's got to be the cruelest way. <laughs> that's yeah. quite Douglas Adams, I think. Yeah, that's uh, yeah, genius. Right. It's, not, it's not wrong. Stuck in a room with that for three days, you would go <laughs> mad, I tell you. What I think is quite interesting, um, first time we talked about it, we, see, we said about the similarities between it and Love and Monsters. Yes. And what's yeah. interesting is that that was a, an episode that pushed things to the edge of the, the envelope as it was. And he's done it but it's pulled it back from that extreme version of what Loving Monsters was. And and not so much done it right, but it's made it work. Made it more palatable. It, yes, in the heart of the series, as yeah. opposed to being this odd, this oddity that people either love or hate. I mean, well, it, I think it will be a Marmite episode. I do think people will love or hate it, actually, mm. because of the mad cat moments in it, because of... Um, not to the same degree as Love and uh, Monsters, though, I don't think. No, and I think maybe. people will hate the ending as well. What, the I'll, Star Trek ending? <laughs> yeah, although I have no problem with it whatsoever. It seemed perfectly logical to me. It's yeah, another, you like the logic, didn't you? Yeah, but it's another... <laughs> yes, I do. And I'm going to come back to the other strand of yeah. logic that I was going to talk about in a minute. But again, it's the automated system run amok. And people are going to say, well, you know, yeah, God complex and... Blah, blah girl in the fireplace and curse the black spot same story we've had and yes it is but just like in the girl in the fireplace if you're going to build a story around technology gone wrong or run amok or have that as your resolution it needs to feel like it's the right resolution and to me in this instance unlike say in the curse of black spot where the siren could have been anything or in the God Complex, where the Minotaur could have been there for any reason. Mm. In this instance, the technology run amok seemed to me the only logical way that you could resolve the story of the cubes that, had, that did make sense. So I didn't mind the ending at all. I thought it was what was the name of the what, were the what was the name of the race? Can you remember the Shakri? The, Sh the Shakri, right? Well, the, did they know that humans would be uh, you know, interested in tiny little cubes and take them home. Is this a, because if you're going to attack a world with cubes, you need to know already that that race is going to be interested in, in being near those. Yeah, cubes. they knew our future and past and our tendencies. Okay, that was part so of the why reason. Need, why do you need the cubes to attack us? Surely they didn't have enough information on how to attack the human race already. Well, well they did attack that, the human race the with big the cubes. Obelisk down to the monkeys. What? Two thousand and one. Different, different thing altogether, isn't it? Yeah, but well, it's the opposite of the same. You, <laughs> I know. So Carly, that's my, you work in a library. It can't be this brain. difficult to understand. <laughs> it is. I don't know where we're going with this. It's Explain. the opposite of the same. If you put something for the listeners, <laughs> okay. If you put something that's unusual mm. but not frightening, unusual and mysterious. But mm. not scary mm. in front of somebody who's going to be inquisitive, then that person is going to inquire. Okay. Yes, I see what you mean now. <laughs> two thousand and one. So yeah. whereas in yeah. two thousand and one it was a benevolent explanation, in this it's a, you know, the opposite. Ah, oh, my brain stopped working. What's the opposite of benevolent? Nasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's just not going to cut it. <laughs> But, um, 
you know, the point is, mm. it is very similar in that respect to 2001. So that's the second Chris Chibnall episode in a row that's kind of made reference <laughs> to that film. That's true. Because the black yeah. boxes, you know, they are very similar in a way to those huge black boxes that were in 2001. Stimulate, yes. But I did, I did think that the idea of the black boxes testing us was a great, great idea for a Doctor yeah. episode because um, it has been done before. The Sontarans, of course, all those years back. Experiments, was, experiments. Yeah, it was a little bit more effective than getting you know blokes to push up heavy bits of metal and uh, test their strength before invading the planet. I thought have pretend snakes crawling up <laughs> your leg and things like that. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, the Sontaran experiment was a typical Bob Baker, Dave Martin nonsense, really, wasn't it? I loved it. I loved it, too. You had the robot as well, the cute little robot. Yeah, the Bla- <laughs> like the Blake 7 robot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but in this, I yeah, yeah, it, it worked perfectly in this. Mm. Mm. It was the whole of this episode. Everything that was in this episode seemed to work together for a purpose. And it was the pacing was just, just perfect, actually, yeah. all the way through. You know, you had the family thing and you also had the unravelling of the mystery gently all the way through it a, a yeah. great moment where he's playing tennis on the Wii is it is he yeah. playing Wii yeah. tennis or something yeah. Yeah. and the thing just floats in front of him and he goes just get out of the way darling or something <laughs> yeah. and, and, deer. Then, and then a deer and then just like oh hello you've woken up yeah yeah great oh wonderful he's wonderful. so used to the alien I'll tell you one thing about the pacing uh, part of that obviously comes out of the script but part of it also comes out of the director Douglas McKinnon he did well, here's an interesting fact about Douglas McKinnon. He is the first, I believe, of the directors who worked under Russell T. Davis that Stephen mm. Moffat's had back. Right. What else did he do? Well, I was going to come to this. Okay. But Stephen Moffat deliberately, I mean, assumingly deliberately, has used all new directors since taking over from Russell T. Davis because he wanted to stamp his own visual impression on the series, right? Mm. But Douglas McKinnon... He is the the first one that Stephen Moffat's invited back. And the interesting thing about Douglas McKinnon is not only has he worked for Stephen Moffat and Russell T. Davis on Doctor Who, uniquely, but also he did Jekyll for Stephen Moffat and The Grand for Russell T. Davis previously. So, again, uniquely, he's mm. the only one who's worked for both producers, both inside and outside of Doctor Who. So, I mean... For a start, that shows you the confidence they've got in him. But when you look at his episodes, and whatever you think of the story, the Sontaran Stratagem two-parter was beautifully directed. And so was Jekyll, quite frankly. And so was this. A director, a good director, will be good not just with camera, but also with actors, and also with pace. And... Uh, you know, for my money, Power of Three. I mean, the last three episodes that we've seen, the Western, the Dinosaurs, the Daleks, mm. all beautifully directed. But this one, I think, tops the lot, quite frankly. Any thoughts? I, I think I, in my opinion, I tend to go back and watch them again because I, I find doing this first time over, <clears throat> excuse me, watching it for the first time and then reacting immediately I think a lot of stuff either doesn't sink in straight away with me or you just watch it back and you get a, a different take on it. And yeah. I think yeah, it's very interesting doing it this way, watching it and then just reviewing it straight away. We've never yeah, done this before. Yeah, that's kind of the point of what we're doing Yeah, yeah, yeah is but, that we're doing these podcasts immediately yeah, yeah. after watching the episode. But it'd be interesting because I expect people, obviously, they watch it and they have the same kind of 
visceral reaction to whatever it is that's on TV. But the Western, we watched again, um, and that, you know, we'll get to that maybe at the end of the podcast, where our views have changed a bit, maybe? Mine, yeah, mine did. Yeah, yeah. 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 So yeah. maybe we'll get oh, back really? to the Western at the end again. But Yeah, uh, a few more words on the Western at the end. Yeah. But the, 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 the um, acting, Martin... Mm-hmm. What did you think of the acting in The Power of Three? I thought it was pretty decent. I really liked... Uh, we haven't even mentioned Unit yet. We got all this way into the no, story. No, I was going <laughs> to yeah. come to that. Um, but um, I forget the actress's name now, but the girl that plays... Gemma Redgrave. Yeah, she was really good. Yeah. Mm. Um, Want her back. Please. Yeah. And a lovely take on, on you know... It was, she it was, was channeling Liz Shaw a little bit there as yeah. well, which was oh. yeah. nice. And she... I tell you what, you know the... I've, I've written this in the review, but what's the point in not mentioning it here as well? Do you know what she reminds me of? She reminds me of the twinkle in Nick Courtney's eye. Nick uh, Courtney's twinkle. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> but that's kind of the point. She's his child. But, you yeah, know, that's absolutely. the aspect of his character that she brings to mind. Mm. Lee's guy. That's, that's, that that's twice in his series, though. They've funny. made a really convincing family connection what with Rory and his dad yeah and yeah yeah. yeah it works well. really well it's very good casting and I don't know I don't think all of you got it straight away did you when she walked through the door but I, as soon as they said her name I just totally knew who she was no I didn't I didn't pick up on that and it, I was so calm about it just going yeah okay that's her then but there was no kind of like oh oh it's her Ooh. but I, I know, it just seemed I think it's also because uh, she was very calm in a way as well I like what they did with Unit therefore out of the character mm-hmm. and I brought this up in the previous version of this podcast that got lost into the mists of simon's machinery <laughs> um i laugh now i cried at the time <laughs> the character of kate lethbridge stewart has been in one of these uh spin-off video productions did we say it was it downtime uh, yeah it the was editing. downtime yeah. i did check it up af- afterwards yeah. actually and it was downtime i'm pretty sure and so and but in that she was a scientist and she was anti-military so the way they've brought her into this episode in that now that her father's died she's been brought into unit and she is sciencing unit up Mm. and sort of trying to pull back on the sort of militaristic aspect works perfectly so that if you want to consider downtime as canonical and this character is the same character as was meant as was you know introduced in that Mm. you can it allows you to Whereas at the same time, the character works perfectly well as a standalone in this episode with no backstory other than that. She is her father's daughter and she's come into the same job as he had from a slightly different angle. The the, the troops, though, they're harder than the original units. I mean, they're all black, you know, completely, yeah. in, completely in black. They're all SAS. Uh, all SAS, yeah, which I, I love. I love the fact they look like that now. But uh, And then you've got this very calm, sciencey, military-connected person walking at the in. top who says the dogs yeah <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> that's funny and she you know has a calmness and assuredness and naturalness and she just chimes nicely with the doctor yeah, and i was gonna companions. say it's a great foil for the doctor yeah it was it was it's really a different nicely. dynamic because obviously with nicholas courtney they were such <laughs> opposite sort of um, opinions so Nicholas Courtney would want to go in all guns blazing and, the and Nick wouldn't... Courtney worked really well with John Pertwee because yeah. it was like a sort of the jewel of the pomposity yeah but you Pertwee know won. <laughs> but in yeah. this but in this instance you've got Matt Smith who when he's not doing his madcap thing is actually quite a gentle soul really mm, I think he makes for quite a gentle doctor mm. so there's sort of there's a gentleness going around yeah, no, so Ch- I really chat with like... wings cut in a biscuit yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I but I love that. Absolutely adore it. And yeah. so these two characters together, mm. perfect. And yes, please, please, please bring her back. Yeah, and yeah, do you absolutely. know I'm actually enjoying Amy a bit. You know, in the last few you episodes, right, you took your bloody. I know time, what's the matter with me. I now she's going. You can't get enough of her. <laughs> well, she's matured, isn't she? I mean, mm. uh, obviously the character's I matured, she's matured as well. A lot last year, actually. I thought her. Yeah. I didn't like her at all in the first Good year way, she was in it, but I thought she matured a lot. I think last I said on the year. dinosaurs one, she's now become the, the companion I wanted her to be yeah. when she first started off. But obviously, maybe I'm not quite as. Uh, Clever as Mr. Moffat, he must have had a plan from day one that he wanted that character to start out in one way. And at the end of her journey, she'd be a different person after well, she travelled the Doctor. That reminds me, because um, first time we were, we were talking about this relationship between the Doctor and Amy, and we, I think you were saying, Jail, that you get, really do get the gist of what that relationship's about in this episode for the first time. Yes, this is the point I was trying to make about Init- 20 minutes ago. Initially, the fact that he, he met her as a child. Yeah. That was that was the big thing for me. It's and, never and so. There was never, there was never this rose business at all. No, it's never been addressed, and it's one of those things that the the fans have kind of read something else into, and this something else that the fans have kind of read into it has kind of sort of devolved into law, l o r e, as it were, because it's just an assumption that has been made so many times that everybody's come to understand it as the truth. And that is the Amy Pond is important, in inverted commas. But of course, the importance of the character of Amy Pond in the first series finale, which is where this whole thing came out of, was not because she was important in and of herself, but because she happened to be the character who was travelling with the Doctor at the time when this monster alliance wanted to trap the Doctor by using things from his companion's life. So the importance mm. was never Amy, but the things from her life that the monsters chose to use. Could have been any companion. Yeah, mm. exactly. But of course, you know, it has kind of gone on from there in that everybody seems to think of Amy as being important mm. because the monsters... It's all this business about important. her living near the crack and, and absorbing yeah. all this Well, look, that's energy, it. it? The, the first time we meet her in the 11th hour... Mark. Sorry, do I use the word crack? Well, uh, oh. these two are just grinning each other like I don't know ridiculous what you're about. The first involved. time we meet Amy is the night her parents have gone. Yeah. And I made this point when we did the <laughs> first version of this podcast, but the and, and this is articulated in the episode, but not quite as I'm going to draw slightly more out of it. But the doctor who first claps eyes on little Amelia Pond is a brand new doctor. He says in it, you're the first face that this face saw. Mm. But by the same token, because that night is the night that Amelia Pond lost her parents and her memory of her parents, she too was a new person on that night. And so his face being the first face that her new face, as it were, saw, meant that actually, even though we didn't get it spelled out, there's that attachment. Yeah, they're both a new person meeting the first new person mm. for the first time. And this episode articulates all those things wonderfully. And it does feel like they're the best of friends. It does feel yeah. like that you, you really genuinely think they are really close, you know, in in this episode especially. Over the last couple, I suppose, as well. But I did feel that. And I felt, for the first time, a bit of emotion 
emotion, proper emotion, like the RTD emotion that we used to get with some of the family things in a, in a, in a Moth episode, which I haven't really had. I haven't had that depth of emotion. So that was a really, like that scene we were talking about with on the wall. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, really that was nice it. Hearing. That hit me. I thought it was great. It was beautiful and deft and almost poetic. And it articulated things that sometimes the most obvious things don't get articulated because they seem so obvious. But mm. unless you articulate them, you know, they're not necessarily obvious to the audience. We've gone over this before yeah, yeah. when we talked about the cliffhanger in Dragonfire. You know, <laughs> what I'm saying is <laughs> sometimes the people producing the show don't realise that the people watching the show don't necessarily get yeah. some of the things they're trying to say. <laughs> but in this episode, it's almost like somebody said to Chris Chibnall, <laughs> you know, I, don't, I can't think of any better way to phrase this. Somebody said to Chris Chibnall, do the perfect Doctor Who episode that will enable everybody to understand what Doctor Who is. And he's, you know, come out of the gate and done it. Because all those things... Anybody who doesn't get this episode is not is not going to get modern Doctor Who, essentially. This episode is a distillation of modern Doctor mm. Who. Mm, it's really... Yeah. I think we've said how this episode in particular is very much a callback to Russell G. Davis's take on how the show came out. Mm. Another staple of his was the celebrity cameos, and we had another one in this episode. Oh, yeah. Oh, quite a few, actually, but one of my favourites, Brian Cox. Yeah, awesome. I love a bit of Cox, me. He's brilliant. Really? Yeah, yeah. And can anybody <laughs> pronounce the name of the male BBC newsreader who uh, appeared in the episode? No. What's the, the female <laughs> one is, is she called Julie Gosling or something Gosling, isn't it? I don't know, I haven't watched the news. can't remember. What goes on in the world? Right, the male <laughs> one is, right, I'm going to say it and then I'm going to try and get you to repeat it. Go on then. It's Matthew Amra Wally Walla. Amri Walla Walla. Amri Almost. Walla Walla? <laughs> oh, hammer, hammer, hammer. Lee, didn't I think you have I said an idea right. that you thought Brian Cox would be quite a good person to ask to write an episode? Didn't you think that last time? I think so, yeah. I think it'd do well if you wrote an episode with Terence Dix, actually. Yeah, can Brian Cox write fiction? I don't know, but I mean, the Cox and Dix thing would be work brilliantly, wouldn't it? Oh, sweet. With a special Lord appearance Pepper. by Jeffrey Beavers. Yeah, yeah. And there was Alan Sugar, you know bit of sugar there to mix it all up with perfect lee <laughs> yes you're fired <laughs> <laughs> oh <clears throat> little boxes brilliant new toys for christmas what do you reckon yeah well they can use the template they have for the old um psychic if they time can, lord box that they had for they can um, figure Doctor's out wife, can't they? for it to yeah. display the number no matter which way you've got it turned mm. that'd be brilliant wouldn't it yes yeah, oh, a new I'm alarm clock that would be far too expensive i would have thought it would be nice but i can't see them put a little that. gyroscope in the middle so it stays the same. You'll get a hologram. That was a beautiful moment in the episode, though, when we realised that, that... Yeah, it was subtle, and you didn't realise till maybe the second, third, or fourth time you saw the box that it was doing that, but that the number that was mm. displayed wasn't on the surface, but was inside the box. Within and, the box. Yeah. And it kind of gave the box even more of a feel of what that is mm. going on, because, to, because the box looked like a you know proper black box, completely solid, and yet to have the number <laughs> coming out from inside it was yes. so Might weird. Being a bit thick, what was the box doing when it opened up? Well, it was it was taking in information about people, wasn't it? Was it? Or couldn't it do that without being open? Because well, wasn't it doing that when it was... 
but who knows? I can't remember now. I mean, what it's it stabbed um, Amy's hand, got the heart beat, and yeah, you yeah. know, fired at the doctor. See what his reactions would be. Yeah, played the birdie song at somebody <laughs> to uh, drive them nuts. Yeah, and uh, what was he doing with Rory? I can't remember. It was just. Um, I think it was it teasing kept opening him, wasn't and then it? He kept going yeah. to the other side, and it kept opening the other side. Yeah, it was just teasing him. Mm, really, it should have a deleted scene um, with Jr. sat at his typewriter, his old style typewriter, and his little and the box next to him, and then it opens up, and a little flag comes up, and it unfurls, and there's a picture of Eric Saywood. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you must have seen that coming. No, no. <laughs> oh, it's like the old guns that go bang, rolls down a flag. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, um, Doctor in Danger. He was properly in danger. God, I thought we were going to say Doctor in Distress. Oh, no, yeah, I thought the same thing. <laughs> he was. He was Doctor in Distress. He was, wasn't he? Uh, luckily, oh, we, we got to see somebody with two hearts lose a heart and feel pain. And, you know, the other ones fell over. Everybody else was okay. He was in the middle of it all trying to cope with it. And that was, I loved that. I thought it was great that he mm. was actually properly in danger for a change. And he was hurting properly, just like the kind of. Well, we saw that do. in the Shakespeare Code, yeah. 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 So the fact that we've seen it before doesn't mean we shouldn't see it again. No, 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 no. Otherwise, you'd but never get the Daleks. Back. Well, there's good reason as well because obviously it's uh, you know but to stop the heart. What, it's a great idea. Yeah, and idea. also it's what tipped him off about what was going on as well. Part of what tipped him off about what was yeah. going on. Yeah, and there were some other lovely things like the um... don't mock my log. <laughs> oh, <laughs> you can't call it that, <laughs> Ryan's log. <laughs> Brilliant, and the the wormhole the uh, in the lift. Oh yeah, that was just, uh, daft but delightful. Yeah, you were saying, weren't you? If you were like an eight year old, ten year old kid, there's lots of these things going on throughout the episode that you think, all oh, right, in, in reality, you kind of go, you go around and you, maybe you see a box on the table, and you think that could be one of those boxes. Or you're in a hotel and you see the uh, you know the um, the tradesman's lift, the one that the yeah, yeah. staff use, the staff lift, and yeah. it's like you think. Dumb waiter. Ooh. Yeah, you're not allowed in there, but you see it. Or the lifts where <laughs> it opens a different way to the way you go in. What, you mean up and down? <laughs> oh, you get ones where you walk in one end, yeah, it goes it up and you walk out the other end. Yeah. That's kind of... Because yeah, you think, what's in the door behind me that I went through before? Just like the door one... A little bit Mr. Ben. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know what you're saying. Yeah, I know what you're saying. I was I gonna say, saying he goes, <laughs> there's an argument for saying that Mr. Ben, or at least the man who owns the shop that Mr. Ben visits, is a Time Lord, isn't there? And the shop is actually a TARDIS. We're going to fire him as mm. well. I like that. Well, without him, we don't have a show, so. Um... <laughs> okay, we'll you be out before I was here. <laughs> well, we didn't have one last time. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> um, the other thing I want to talk about is those monsters with the square mouths that came out of the cute yeah, mouths. Yeah, freaky. Can I just, I wrote down, as I, at the beginning of the episode, when I first saw them, I thought, right, okay, I'm going to try and guess what this episode's about. So I wrote down three things. So first, I thought the cubes were sent to stop invaders. I thought it was like some benevolent race sending them down first to protect the Earth. And then uh, I th- when I saw these, these creatures with their square mouths, I thought well, the whole point is that you pick up the square cubes and you put them in their mouths and then they explode <laughs> or something, which I thought was a great idea. I can idea. hear the, the sound from Family Fortune going off in my head. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> Oi. Um, and they make a <laughs> boom sound. And when they, when they glowed blue, I thought that's... Oh, it's goodly, mo- but it's not right. The monster's close. That's what it was about. That was the eight-year-old inside me guessing this. I was like, oh, it's got to happen. And it didn't happen. I was quite disappointed. But also, again, that was nice. 
in a way, in that if you think you're guessing the mystery and all of a sudden it's not what you think it yeah. is. And the little girl who was there to collect the information. I mean, some of oh, these yeah. things were a yeah. bit Remembrance, superfluous. Remembers the But Daleks. also there were nice touches. There were nice... I'd like touches. to know yeah. from Chris Chibnall whether there was a reason behind why their mouths were square. Was there a link between... Was it just purely a cosmetic thing that their mouths were square, like cubes? I know. So you know, my or was it just there to be weird? You know, my assumption was that the cube had gone in through their mouths and was in their head, possessing them, possessing their brain. Yeah, yeah. that's Controlling how I read them. it. Oh. oh, right. So they were human to begin with. So they were humans yeah. who oh. had just been possessed by the cubes. Oh, that's a why was that little girl like that? Well, no, because she was a robot. Oh, right. Okay. Mm. Good old Simon, slow on the uptake. <laughs> I didn't get it either. <laughs> well, it's been a few yeah, days since we watched it. But that is just the regular kids on the uptake for you, Lee. <laughs> hey! <laughs> I use my brain all day. I don't need to use it on the podcast. Right, so uh, there's another great quote. Blatantly. From the Doctor. Uh, was it Moses Crikey? Crikey Moses? Crikey Moses. So that's another religious uh, blaspheme. Yeah. <laughs> I don't... Yeah, uh, the series is on... Uh, about an hour later than it usually is at the mm. moment. So I, uh, and I, you know, obviously it's still a kid's series. You've got these things like the black boxes, the cowboys, the dinosaurs and what have you. But at the same time as being still a kid's series, the BBC are A, well aware that people watch these things on catch up. So if your kid's too young to stay up till half past eight to watch it, you know, you'll just watch it the next morning or whatever. But B, having it on about an hour later is enabling the actual episodes there's a slightly it's difficult to put your finger on but there's a slightly more not grown up but there's a slightly more wider demographic approach to the way the episodes are sort of targeting themselves do you know what i'm saying well this is certainly making it more accessible to people who are just dropping in this Iro- new format. do you know I, I, well i don't know if it's ironic or what but um Dinosaurs episode and the cowboy one haven't shown it to it yet. The dinosaur was the first episode I've let my three-year-old watch. Really? Yeah, loved it. She loved it. She loved it. Your work here. Another is one sucked in. <laughs> Brilliant. Zombie Dawn of Dead next. What? Zombie Dawn of Dead next. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Dawn of Dead is that Dawn somebody you know on Facebook? Dawn of Dead. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I've got some, yeah, I've so got some uh, other notes done. I've got to say Burkoff. Yes, yeah, I was just going to yeah. say Stephen Burkoff. Not mentioned yeah. him yet. Looked just like something out of Star Wars. I mean, specific No, Star Trek, not Star Wars, JR. He did. He looked like um, Star Anakin Wars. Skywalker. Yeah. He did. What? He did. Uh, really? Let me look at you with my own eyes. <laughs> what is it? Revenge of the Sith? The one? That one? Oh, well, or, I suppose he looked a bit like him at the end. No, I thought he looked like Sebastian Shaw at the end of Return of the Jedi. Yes, 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 absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> but with my, the point, my point being... I think he's scarier without oh, the makeup. Really that the sort of Star Wars universe is something that Stephen Moffat kind of buys into big Bounty time hunters. anyway. From now on. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Bounty Hunters in space. Cantina and... Yeah. Cantina That's scenes. okay. You look at... Um, and this goes back to what I was saying about Chris Chibnall amalgamating bits from Moffat and bits from Russell T. Davis. Russell T. Davis, the whole end of the world thing, was very much kind of Star Wars, a playful version of Star Wars, and so was A Good Man Goes to War. And, you know, in Dinosaurs on a Spaceship and in The Power of Three, Chris Chibnall is kind of, 
know, given us hints of bits and pieces mm-hmm. of things that he's taken out of both Davis and Moffat that they've taken from elsewhere as well. And Captain Jack was hanging around in the canteen the bar. Wasn't yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. So. Do you know what though? This felt to me a bit like Spielberg. Did it really? Yeah. In what way? Um, E.T. level Spielberg, Close Encounters level Spielberg, mm. a mystery, domesticity yeah. plus mystery yeah. plus sci-fi, Domestic- dreadful domesticity. His look, the Doctor's look. But you know what I'm saying? The whole E.T. <laughs> so aliens good. in the backyard. Yeah. And it's like the mystery unfolds at the same time as the family dissolves, you know, and the whole, the two stories running parallel with one another in E.T. and in Close Encounters of the Third Kind. And, you know, it's a very Spielberg thing to do. Spielberg is big, big, big on family in his films. Mm. And he's also big, big, big on sci-fi. He loves a bit of sci-fi. So you put the sci-fi and the family together, you know, it just yeah. felt Spielberg. If you, if you think about the... Um... You think about what the actual episode's about. It would make a great film, actually. You could make that into a fantastic blockbuster. You know, Mimsy, not Mimsy with the Borogovas. It's the um, what's it called? The <coughs> one where the little kids find the box, and it's a mathematical um, teaching tool from another dimension, and they learn it. And uh, strange things happen. In fact, there's short stories where they disappear into another dimension as well. But uh, it's We're all looking confused at each oh, other. Hellraiser? No, no, no. There are millions of people <laughs> shouting out. They know what the story is uh, and what the, what the film is. It's called Mimsy, I think, actually. Yeah. I don't know. You know have you heard of it? I've heard of Mimsy, yeah. It's right in the rental yeah, yeah. Well, it's, it's on a based what on a short story. What about film with the kids where it starts in live action and they go off into a maths universe made out of animation? Oh, what? The what Phantom Tollbooth? Phantom Tollbooth. It's one of my favourite oh, films. I loved that one as a kid. I've not seen it since Great then. Great book. Well, it was, it was a book way before it's a film don't know what you're talking about you've never really? seen the phantom toll booth <laughs> oh, no, no, i don't know what you're talking oh, about oh, that was a that's a real it's a bit like right at the heart of my child memories it's a bit like um wizard of oz and that the framing device is done in a different uh medium in a way to the bulk of the story mm. in that it starts off and ends up in live action and goes to animation in the middle and it's like a. It's kind of like the Wizard of Oz thing going black and white to colour. It's that mm. same little switch. What, well, they walk into the land of maths? That sounds dull. No, it's really <laughs> it's not, not dull. It's really good. <laughs> it's the opposite of dull. It is a uni- little boy called Milo and he just gets. It's a universe of maths in the same way as Alice Through the Looking oh, and Glass there's a, is a universe and there's a land of made of letters moves. as well. Right, okay, and there's a land made of letters as well. Yes. Okay, maybe you should watch it. Phantom Toll. He makes a watchdog, doesn't he? It's literally a dog with a watch I've in the stomach. I've not seen it for 30 years. All sounds a bit mind robber to me. I've got the book <coughs> at home. I'll... Anyway, yeah. listeners, Doctor Who was really good. <laughs> yeah. No, there's people out there going, oh yeah, the Phantom Tollbooth. Yeah. <laughs> Stephen Burkhoff was great. Only did the underused. one thing. Obviously just came in for the day. Totally underused. Totally underused. <clears throat> and he was covered in makeup. I thought that was a shame. I think that's the only he thing. brilliant. Oh, I thought he looked wonderful. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But he did his eyes wide <laughs> thing. He does his big eyes wide thing, which he uses for the theatre a lot. You didn't really need that in a TV programme, to be perfectly honest, Steve. But, um, I thought he played it perfectly. I think if you that stripped, stripped off all that stuff, and he's got a great looking head. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah you've just I gone thought... very Matthew Waterhouse there. Have I? What Giving acting tips to a seasoned pro. <laughs> 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 I know. <laughs> But the point is, <laughs> you the put the Burke into Burke off, don't you? <laughs> the point is, it's uh, the turd in Saturday. 
Sorry. This is going to go the cough into one. Cough. <laughs> <laughs> you put the cough into Burkov. No, I. <laughs> we should go somewhere else with that entirely. Clutching uh, uh, its tools now. The point is, that it's not that <laughs> they had a actor of Stephen Burkov's cal- caliber and should have used him more. The fact is, they wrote a part that was a one-day shoot mm. and then got the best actor they could get. Yeah. To come in and do it for the day. So there's never going to be more of Burkhoff. No. It was just a very small role that was all going to be filmed on presumably one day. And Stephen Burkhoff said, right, I'm free on that day. I can come and do it. I'm joshing. He was, he is brilliant and he was brilliant, but he was just underused and he didn't need makeup. That well, was, he's that got the option of coming back because he was covered in makeup so he can come back as himself, can't he? True. So I point. think Stephen Burkhoff as himself wouldn't have fit the tone of the series. Whereas Stephen Burkhoff, yeah, whereas Stephen Burkhoff in makeup as a alien holographic automated machine, brilliant. Can he? Do, he could be Megalos, can he? Do a good Megalos. Burkhoff, <laughs> do it like a Shakespearean part. That'd be fantastic. The Shakespearean cactus. He could put the gloss into Megalos. Oh, hey. for goodness' sake, Simon! <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna piss. <laughs> it. Right. <laughs> You can edit that out. I didn't know where. Sorry, I forgot where I was. I was close, but that's just. Right. um... We're going to put the (laughs) E into Lee. Zygons. That's what I was going to say. We had a little little bit with the Zygons. But we didn't get the Zygons. That was such a tease. Don't play with the Zygons like that. That's not fair. Why not? Maybe they're setting us up for the second half of the season. Because I wanted to really see the Zygons. In right. that situation? Well, in... you know, the point is, there was never going to be a monster in that scene. You were only going to hear about it, so oh, yeah. they just chose a random name. Random? <laughs> Let me finish my sentence. Go on, then. They just chose a random name to use to show us what kind of an adventure that we hadn't seen. Yeah. And if they'd have chosen, you know, Dravins, for instance, like we've had before, everybody would have said, ah. And if mm. they'd have chosen the word... On Tarans, everybody would have said, yeah, but we've seen them. Or the word Chumblies. So they mm. chose a name of a monster that everybody would like to see as a little tease for maybe we will get to see them uh, eventually. Okay, maybe we will then. I hope so. That's all I can say. It was, you can't complain about moments like that. Sure. Do you know what? I, I'm going to That's watch that. Curmudgeonly. I'm going to watch that in slow-mo, that, that very scene, and see if there's any kind of, you know, little suckers. Uh, on people's heads in that scene in the background. There might be a Zygon running past. You just never know. Do we score the episode, guys? Rescore. Yeah, rescore. Yeah. Mark, are you going to stick with a six? I'll do a Lee and I'll do a 7.5. It's going up. Wow, that's a whole point and a half. Mm. Simon, are you going to stick with a seven? No, it's got to an eight, I think. After talking <clears throat> um, about the relationship business and actually it's reminded me how much i loved the 11th hour what i loved about it was the whole i'm still cooking business and it's reminded me of that so yep eight out of ten i and like doctor who to scare me i like doctor your, who to I creep me out from the start of the episode Lee, 7.5 right. i like it to creep me out i like it to take the norm and put a twist on it which is why i like the surgeons 
So next time, you know, if there's a time, I next time, but when time I go into surgery in the future, my life, I'm going to be dead scared that they're going to pull their little mask down, they're going to have square mouths. It's an eight from me. So everybody's raised their score. Mm. Yeah. Right, you I can't raise yours. Ten. Yeah, but I might give it an 11 now. Can't do that. <laughs> only in Spinal Tap. No, I've changed well, my mind. I'm Joe, give it a you're the only one of, of us that's seen it more than once. Yes. So, you know, we are we do rely on you to to notice these things. And <laughs> to to take us back to the Cowboy episode, I've watched that a second time, and that has improved a thousandfold as a second watching. Definitely. Yeah. I, to- I think I gave something terrible, like a six. And yeah. I'd, I'd raise it up to 7.58 we now. we down on it immediately after we watched it. Probably also because we watched that the same night as Dinosaurs, didn't we? <laughs> we yeah, did. we just yeah. watched Dinosaurs, and I think we were all still buzzing from in that. that. It's made yeah. me realise, though, there's a huge, huge thing is preconception. Yeah. It's our worst habit as Doctor Who fans is preconceived ideas of what something's going to be like. Because we all came to it expecting expect. one thing yeah. and also buzzing off another thing yeah and actually going back to it and watching it um afterwards it was a fantastic episode mm. yeah i mean i've still got the odd moan about it like Mark we all have still but... has this to come <laughs> but yeah no I, I thought it definitely improved and my son watched it as well for the first time and i said well, what did you think of that thinking he might have thought a bit slow or whatever he thought it was awesome it was fantastic he's <coughs> saying they're the best ones so oh, really? far this year, yeah, the missus did as well. Ages. Actually, she thought it was the of the three she'd seen. It was yeah. interesting. Yeah, they've had quite a bit of a reaction like that actually in mm. some quarters. So I people seen it, yeah. find it quite dull, which is but kind what of it how was I felt was first, absorbing. Mm. I think that's what we missed because the dinosaurs on a spaceship was so in your face that watching something that was subtle and absorbing afterwards wasn't the tonic. Mm. We weren't in the right mood for it. But yeah, you know, second yeah. viewing when uh, you're watching it on its own and you're watching it for itself. Once again, the pacing was very good on it, I thought. I mean, I gave it, you know, Walton's meets the Terminator or something. More Universal Soldier. Though. But I, th- I think it's, <laughs> ooh, I think it's, uh, it's more um, Quick and the Dead meets the Terminator with a little bit of Walton. Universal training. Soldier. <laughs> yeah. Possibly. It wasn't a robot, it was a cyborg, like the guys in Universal Soldier. I was, watching, I was reading a comic the other day from 1991 called Digi- Digitech or something like that. Oh, yeah. And it's got this, this monster in it, it looks almost identical to this guy, except the um, Western <coughs> outfit. Big oh, gun I've on the hand, all that sort of thing. Big issues with the gunslinger. Just thought it was crap. You didn't like the gunslinger? Didn't like the gunslinger. Didn't understand why he was in cowboy outfit. To, for you know, because if he walks around like that, people are going to see him and think, "What a freak!" Oh, okay, and shoot at him. But from a distance, it's he just looks like that. a normal. He's blending in. No, I know, and it's a cowboy episode and everything like that. But I still, think the voice <laughs> is rubbish. What's wrong with the voice? The voice was even worse on the second viewing, but the rest of it was brilliant. I like the voice actually; that was quite good. Really? Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Right, you two go off and get a room. And me and Mark are going to say goodnight to the listeners. (laughs) Whereas Dread, he didn't have that voice. Do you want to give a second score to Town Called Mercy? Eight. It's all gone up. Come on. It's got to be an eight, yeah. I've got to watch it again before I can rate it. Hmm. Yeah. I get the suspicion I probably will increase my score from last time. Yeah, well, he's got yeah. Mark's got preconceptions now because we've all said, "Oh no, it's brilliant on the second viewing," and he'll think it's rubbish on the second viewing because it won't come up to standard. <laughs> <laughs> well, we shan't ask him then. No. <laughs> Just ignore everything we've said, Mark. 
next week we are not going to be talking about uh, the Angels of Harlem because we won't have a preview of that episode. So the Angels episode will be in a fortnight's time, and next week we will be mostly talking about Something David Tennant. So I was JR. I was Lee. I was Mark. And I was Simon. And if you want to get in contact with us about anything we've mentioned on the show tonight, then just listen to Simon talking to you in the piece of music that's coming up right now. You can contact us by email via blueboxpodcast at yahoo.co.uk.